Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Hey guys, just got another one from a guy named Kevin. He says, hey Fountain Springs, one of the best cookie combos ever are Oreos and milk. The Oreo does have one major design flaw. Every time I try and dip a cookie in my glass, I drop it and get my hands all covered in milk. There's gotta be a better way. And there is, Kevin. Step one, get some Oreos. Then get a glass of milk and a fork. Step two, put the Oreo cookie on the fork tongs. Step three, dip like a pro. You are welcome. Well, hey everybody, I'm Steve, and I am so proud to be a part of a church where anyone and everyone matters. I pastor at our recovery program and at our prison location, where we're seeing just incredible things happen. How awesome is it that one of our church locations is inside of a prison? God is doing awesome things. Yeah, you can clap for that, for sure. As we're seeing so many people change their lives at our prison location where we get to see guys accept Christ for the first time. We see some guys who come back to him after years of running away. And I've gotten to baptize men in prison and I've gotten to walk them out where they join our other locations. And as you came in today, you probably shook hands with a former convict and you didn't even know it. Because at every single service we have, at every location we have, we have guys who used to live at RCMU serving somewhere. God is doing amazing, incredible things, and it's just a privilege to get to be a part of it. To give you just a little bit of background on me, um, I, I did not go straight out of high school into seminary and become a pastor. Uh, I know like I, I probably look like that guy that did, but <laughs> I had to go to the school of hard knocks. And I battled with sexual addiction for years and years, and I lived kind of a rough life before God finally got a hold of me and called me into ministry. But in just a couple weeks, I get to celebrate eight years of marriage to my absolute best friend, my amazing, beautiful wife, Katie. Yeah. We have three awesome kids. Uh, my oldest, Jack, is six. My middle son, Eli, will be four soon, and my baby girl, Claudia, is nine months old. She's uh, daddy's whole world, and uh, yeah, she's got me wrapped around her finger a little bit. I'm in trouble as she gets older. <laughs> but we've just been having fun because we believe life is an adventure, and as we get to learn how to uh, parent three kids and deal with that chaos in our house, we just, we're just having fun learning what God's got for us and walking through the ministry that he's given us, which has been awesome. Today, 
what I want to do, we're going to walk through one of the shortest stories in the entire Bible, one of the shortest books. Um, we're going to walk through an Old Testament book from one of God's prophets. If you're not familiar with the Bible, in between the time of Moses and Jesus, you probably at least know those names, between the time of Moses and Jesus, God sent these people called prophets to bring his word to his people, to kind of get them back on track, to get them back into obedience to him. They were like his personal loudspeaker, and one of these prophets was named Jonah. And so we're going to walk through the book of Jonah together, and I want to I challenge you in this today because I understand that reading the Bible can be really intimidating. Sometimes we get scared. We're like, man, these long books full of hard words to pronounce and names that I don't know, and I don't know how I could ever read an entire book of the Bible. So Today, I want to challenge you, when you go home, read the book of Jonah. It legitimately takes about 12 minutes to read, okay? It's going to take you less time to read about it than it will for me to show you tonight, okay? So I want us, that to be our challenge for us today. When you get home, sit down and read the book of Jonah. Take 12 minutes, all right? But we're going to jump straight in, chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Let me give you just a little bit of background about the, the city he's going to, Nineveh. See, Nineveh was the capital city of this country called Assyria. Assyria was a powerful country. They were brutal warriors, just merciless people. They built this nearly impregnable defense system around their city. And this is an incredible, really special thing because this is one of only a few times, a very few times that God sends his prophet in the Old Testament to a Gentile or non-Jewish people. It only happened a few times and this is one of them. That's worth paying attention to anytime God does something outside of the norm. But there's a little bit of a problem. See, Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. See, in case you missed it, Jonah said no. Just let that sink in from it. Jonah told God no. See, Jonah has a little bit of an obedience problem. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is obedience, because I think if we're being really honest, you and I struggle with the same thing. You don't look convinced. <laughs> I, have, I have proof. Take a look. Okay, Jack, I need you to try dipping your chip in your beans just one time, okay? Sit down here. I won't eat it, so I'm Why? Okay, I understand why I asked you to do it, Jack, so I... Uh-huh. No, I asked you to dip your chip in your beans, okay? So I need you to try it just once, okay? One time. No. Try it one time. Yes, you can. I believe in you. Dip a chip in your beans. Now eat it. <laughs> you have to eat it. <laughs> yes. Every day. That's my six-year-old, Jack, and uh, he's a little too smart for his own good. Uh, he did eat that chip, by the way, just so you know. Um, 
See, we don't like to admit it, but I think a lot of times you and I treat God like that. Where, where we say, no, <laughs> we don't want to do that. We struggle with obedience constantly. I mean, think about this. We live in a society that tells us that I should be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. And it doesn't matter if you tell me anything else. You're obviously a jerk and you hate me. You have to hate me if you say that I have to do what you say. We struggle with pride and fear and independence. And I think if we're really honest, we're not convinced that God has our best interest at heart. I think if we're really honest about it, we're not even convinced God loves us. See, my son in that video, he's not convinced that what I want for him is best. He thinks that what he wants for himself, or more accurately, what he doesn't want for himself is better than what I want for him, and that he's not gonna enjoy what I have for him. And Jonah struggles with the same thing, I think. So, I'm gonna be really transparent with you for a minute though, okay? Because when I was first called to pastor at the prison, if I'm being honest, I wanted to say no. I wanted to run away. I did not wanna be a pastor I didn't want to go to a prison or associate with those people. I didn't want a bunch of extra responsibility and expectations put on me. I didn't want to be stretched outside my comfort zone. And honestly, what I wanted to do was I wanted to rise up the ranks at the steel yard I worked at. I wanted to become a manager and then a branch manager and then a CEO, make a bunch of money, retire really young, and get a lot of recognition for it. I wanted to run away from God. Here's the thing about Jonah. I grew up in church hearing this story about Jonah. Maybe you did too. I was convinced that Jonah was scared of these people, these Assyrian people. I was sure that he was afraid of what they were gonna do to him. I mean, it makes sense, right? This brutal, merciless people who would kill an outsider as soon as look at him. And here is God telling him, okay, Jonah, I want you to just march right into the middle of their city and you just start telling them that if they don't shape up, I'm gonna kill them. Just tell them, hey, you screwed up and my God, who by the way, you don't believe in, he's gonna crush you if you don't change everything. I'd be scared. <laughs> See, as it turns out though, something I didn't know, maybe you didn't either. Jonah, like most Israelites, hated the Assyrian people because they weren't Jews. I'll say that again, just so it sinks in. Jonah hated the Assyrians just because they weren't Jews. It turns out that Jonah actually wasn't afraid of what was gonna happen to him. I'll get back to that though. So here Jonah is, he's running away from God, headed in the absolute opposite direction of where God told him to go. And as he gets on this ship and they're sailing, God sends this incredible storm that comes up and this violent storm threatens to tear the ship apart and everyone on it and the crew starts to panic and they're starting to throw cargo overboard. They're starting to argue with each other while they try and get the ship under control. And they're screaming out to their God saying, save us, save us. And finally, the captain finds Jonah below deck sleeping. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? 
Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, this should be sounding familiar. Isn't there another place in the Bible where somebody fell asleep on a ship in a storm? <laughs> See, in Matthew 8, Jesus was out on a boat with his disciples when a violent storm swept up and threatened to tear the boat apart. And his disciples woke him up in a panic saying, Jesus, do something. Don't you care? What should we do? Well, in Jonah's story, they ask him what they should do. He finally has to admit that it's his fault. And then he tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this storm has come upon you. And as soon as he hits the water, the storm goes calm. And then something crazy happens. It says the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I mean, think about this. I think some of us have heard this story so many times we don't think about it. A fish so big that it swallowed a man whole. That's in the Bible. You can't make that up. <laughs> See, I brought this point about Jesus up for a reason because I think it's important for us to highlight Jesus' authority. See, in Jesus' story, he woke up and he took a step out on the boat and he said, stop. And the wind and the waves obeyed him. But in Jonah's story, he had to submit himself to God's authority, be thrown into the sea and face his fate. See, I think Jesus very intentionally set up the story in Matthew 8 on purpose to prove that he is God and he has ultimate authority. But even more than that, we see throughout Jesus' time on earth that he submits to God the Father's authority. Towards the end of his time on earth, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. While Jonah is trying to do things his way, he wants what he wants. Because I don't think he's convinced that God's plan is the best way. So, if you think that the Old and New Testaments aren't connected, think again. While he's in this fish, I think this is, I, just as I was reading about it, preparing to share with you, I was struck by the fact that Jonah isn't digested. He just sits there in the belly of the fish for three days. Kind of like God gave him a timeout, like, sit. <laughs> think about what you did. And he has to sit and wrestle with his calling and the choices that he's made and what's brought him there. And it reminds me of the time that I had to wrestle with whether or not I was gonna say yes to becoming a pastor. But then after three long days, and I mean, just think about this for a minute. He sat in the belly of a fish for three days. Y'all, I like seafood, but I don't wanna sit in it for three days. <laughs> but after three days, Stubborn old Jonah finally submits himself to com completely to God and says, yes, I will do what you asked. 
And then he prays a prayer that I think is pretty powerful, but more importantly, I think it helps us understand how to walk a life of obedience to God. So I'm gonna walk us through it. But after all, this is our life hack series. So step number one is to admit. So it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. See, in his distress, Jonah cried out to God for help, thereby admitting that he needed God's help, that he'd made mistakes and that most importantly, he was not God. In our own lives, if we wanna walk in obedience to God, we first have to admit that we're not God and we need him. He goes on, our, our second step is to remember God's goodness. Jonah says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Notice he says, you. He doesn't say the sailors threw me in. He says, you, God, hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought me up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah, in this moment, is remembering God's goodness. And it's not written in his story, but I think it's safe to assume, based on what is written there, that Jonah has faced something incredible in his life some powerful event in which he had to rely on God completely, where there was no way out but to rely on God. And in this moment, he's remembering that and saying, God, you got me out of that. But even now in this moment, as he's how, who knows how deep in the ocean, wondering how he'll ever get out of this alive, he says, you, God, are the only reason that I'm still alive right now. And you're definitely the only way I can ever get out of this. Only through you will I get out of this. Jonah remembers God's goodness. Our third step is to make a commitment. See, he then says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See, Jonah first says, anyone who clings to anything other than God is just wasting their time. If you cling to anything but God, you're just wasting your time. But then he makes a commitment to God. He says, I will live a life joyfully submitted to you. I will joyfully sacrifice to you what I committed to before I'm gonna make good on that. And I will declare to the entire world, including Nineveh, salvation comes from the Lord. Then God commands the fish and it spits Jonah up on dry land. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. This time though, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He went to Nineveh and Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. See, Jonah made a commitment to God and here we start to see that he actually followed through on it. He acted on it. Our next step is to act. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Don't miss this. Okay, because so often we rush so quickly through the Bible when we read it that we miss the importance of what was written there. Jonah walked into a city. One man started preaching this message and the entire city from the greatest to the least believed him and repented. That's something powerful. The Bible tells us over 120,000 people lived in that city. Historians believe that with its suburbs, Nineveh was over 60 miles around. One man marches into the middle of the city, starts telling them, hey, you're wrong about everything you believe. You need to change that now or you're gonna die. And they all believe him? You don't seem impressed, I am. <laughs> Over 120,000 people were rescued that day. And not only did they believe Jonah, but their belief spurred them to action. Jesus once told a parable about seed being scattered and falling in four different places. It fell on the path, on rocky ground, in some thorns, and on good soil. If you're a farmer, you may understand this parable right off the bat, but his disciples didn't get it. So they asked him to explain it. Here's what he said. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, and those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil, that stands for those with a, good, with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. See, the devil doesn't care if you hear the word and you're convicted by it. He doesn't care how much truth you hear and how much you believe it as long as you never do anything about it. If he can get you and I to run away like Jonah or worse yet to sit idly by while innocent people suffer, then he wins. When you and I ignore God's truth, when we run away or just sit idly by and do nothing with it, It's like those YouTube videos we see where someone's getting beat up or picked on and no one comes to their rescue. No one steps up to save them. And we think how terrible that is 
that that person is in that situation, and then we have to stop and think about this for a minute and realize someone is standing there with a smartphone. When we ignore the truth that God's given us, when we choose to do nothing with it, we make ourselves useless. Now, here we are. This incredible miracle has happened. An entire city has been rescued. They've repented and been saved. And this is the point where we go, this man of God, he's got to be jumping up and down, proclaiming, you are so good, God. I'm glad I listened this time. Thank you for bringing me here. This entire city's saved. Life is good. Not quite. Let me show you. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Have you ever been angry with God? It's all right, I have. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, because I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Wait a minute. Did I get lost? Are we still in the Old Testament? Because this doesn't sound like the Old Testament, right? I grew up believing the Old Testament was all about God's wrath, that he just wanted to kill people. But why is it then that a prophet of God, the man who in his time knew God better than anybody else, says, I knew that you are gracious. I knew that you're compassionate. I knew, God, that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, that you're a God who relents from sending calamity. Is it possible that maybe we read the book wrong? But then Jonah takes it just a little bit too far. He says, now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He says, God, I disagree with you so much that I'd rather die. See, you remember, I said that Jonah wasn't afraid of the people there and what they could do to him, because he knew the power of his God. He knew all these things about his God. He knew if God told him to go there, he was good. He had nothing to worry about. No, he was scared that these people he hated, that they might actually repent. And knowing his God, he was afraid that God would forgive them. And so here he is saying, God, they don't deserve to live. They're not like me. If that's how you're gonna be, if you're gonna rescue them, take me out now, because I don't wanna live in a world like that but God puts him in his place. If you've ever felt that, you know it hurts. (laughs) He puts him in his place. God says, is it right for you to be angry? See, Jonah forgot part of his commitment to God. He had promised God that he would live, that he would sacrifice with shouts of grateful praise. Does that sound like shouts of grateful praise to you? 
No. You see, above all else, obedience is a matter of the heart. It's not enough to just do what God asks. We need to do it with a joyful heart. Do it gratefully, because at its core, obedience means that we have to die to ourselves. Believing that God wants is best for us, but also for everyone around us. And whatever he calls us to is gonna turn out for the good. So I walked through those very quickly, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take us back through it and recap, okay? So our steps are first, we have to admit that we're not God and we need him. Second, we need to remember God's goodness. Third, we need to commit to obedience to God. And fourth, we need to act on that commitment. But above all, we have to do all of that with a joyful heart. I have to tell you that I am so grateful that I said yes to God. Because as much as I enjoyed working manual labor and I really enjoyed driving heavy machinery and doing all the cool stuff I had, and if it, it would have been awesome if I would have been retired before 50 and made a bunch of money, but I would have never known what I know now if I'd have done that. If I would have run away from God, I would have never known how much I love hanging out in prisons and talking to people who feel like the world has given up on them and walking through hard situations with people. I get to walk people through some of the hardest situations you've ever seen. And I can't even, legally, I can't tell you half the stories that I would love to share. But we've seen God move in such incredible ways. I've got to pray with men as they get arrested. I've gotten to walk people through coming down off of a drug high. Just this week, we had a woman in a life-threatening situation come to our church, and because of the actions of my team, because of the love they showed this woman and the fact that God put us in her path, she's alive today and has one more day to get to know Jesus. And I praise God for that. See, you may not realize this, but the very thing that you're running away from, that you're afraid of, that maybe you think you're gonna hate, but you feel God pushing you towards, that might be the very thing that gives you purpose. The very thing you fall in love with. Jesus was once asked, what's the most important commandment? Out of all the rules, you know, we've got this, this book with the law and the prophets, we've got all these rules in it. What's the most important rule out of all of them? If you're gonna follow just one, what is it? Here's what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets. In case you don't understand what that means, he's saying all of the Bible, hang on these two commands, all of it. Maybe you're, maybe you're tracking with me. Maybe you're following along and you're saying, yeah, I get it, okay? I, I understand, I have to admit, I'm not God and I need him. That makes sense. I can, I can acknowledge he's done good things in my life and he is good and I'm ready to commit to obedience and I will follow that out as soon as he tells me what the heck he wants me to do. 
If he could just write it down and put it in front of me, that'd be great. Let me say it a different way. Love God by loving people. If you're not sure where to start, if you're wishing that God would spell it out for you, he did. Start here. Love God by loving people. Start with loving your spouse. Love your kids. Love the checker at your store. Love the guy who flipped you off in traffic and the Broncos fan next door. I know that one's hard. Start by loving people. Let me pray for us. God, I praise you that you are such a good God and you always have been and you always will be. That you take screw-ups like Jonah and me and you allow us to share your word with the world. I thank you that you are slow to anger, that you're abounding in love. God, as we walk forth today, I ask that you would just teach us how to not only obey you, but to love to do it. Teach us to see that what you have in mind for us really is the best for us. Teach us to love the people around us with such a passion that when they see something better in their life than we have, we shout for joy instead of wishing that we had what they have. Teach us to love you, to love the people around us, and to live out obedience to you. We praise you and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.